Welcome to Feminist Erotica, a podcast from Rebellious Magazine for Women. Join Jera, Karen, and Princess for stimulating interviews that explore feminist representations of desire, as well as short and sweet erotic snippets read by the authors themselves. This episode is sponsored by Just the Tip, Rebellious Magazine's inclusive sex and relationship advice column where you'll find interviews with sexuality researchers and educators, as well as compassionate responses to anonymous questions. Check it out at rebelliousmagazine.com slash just dash the dash tip. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Thank you for jumping in. I can only imagine the like, I should wait. Yeah. I'm like, I got half an hour. I'm going to do my hair. I'm going to, you know, prep my notes. <laughs> Whatever. I'm here. It's all good. <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm, I'm thrilled to talk to you all. And thanks for making, making it happen. <laughs> Thank you for being, for, for joining us and for being open to have this conversation. I always feel like it's kind of weird. I, I know that this is the culture that we live in now, but you know, we just randomly like hit people up. I'm like, hey, we're doing a thing. Do you want to come and talk to us? And people are like, sure. <laughs> I've never met you before. I have no idea what you know. Hey, it'll be fine. Yeah, send me a link. We'll just, you know, do it in front of folks. It'll be fine. But I was saying earlier for our readers, when we asked who specifically they wanted to talk to or wanted us to talk to, your name was like mad high on the list uh, of folks. So, and now I feel like I'm behind and I read a bunch of your work and I'm absolutely smitten with the work and and the, the, not just like the writing stuff, but also the the example that you set for folks in trying to be a better human is really, really valuable. So, you know, thank you for being here with us tonight. My pleasure, thanks. Big compliments, and I appreciate it. Well, that's how we start. <laughs> uh, <laughs> start with the good stuff, then go hard. <laughs> so for folks that are, that are also less familiar, I'm just going to read uh, your bio, and um, we'll go from there. But Sinclair Sexsmith, they, them pronouns, is the best-known butch erotica writer whose kinky, groundbreaking stories have turned on countless queer women after Ellen who is in all the books, wins all the awards, speaks at all the panels and readings, knows all the stuff and writes for all the places. There, that's according to Autostraddle. Their short story collection, Sweet and Rough, Queer Kink Erotica was a 2016 finalist for the Lambda Literary Award. And they're the current editor of the best lesbian erotica series, which we're gonna get into. You can find more of their work at sugarbutch.net and Mr. Sexsmith is, what is this? I can't do math. 158, I think, followers short of 10K on Twitter. So you should go right now and follow them and start retweeting their awesome tweets. They are a perfect person to follow if you want to be more in the know about queer erotica and kinky things. So you can find them on Twitter at Mr. Sexsmith. Spell it. Plug. Mr. M-R-S-E-X-S-M-I-T-H. I'm following right now. Thank, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for having <laughs> me. And um, 
you know, you hover around 10, I've been, I swear at like 9,900 followers for like a year. <laughs> it's like, takes a, cause you know, people drop off and then other people come. So it's just like, can't quite, but yeah. Twitter, Twitter's fun. Twitter's like where I hang out the most, I think. Twitter and Instagram stories. Nice. Uh, I'm on Facebook less than I used to be, but uh, it's, you know, for lots of politic reasons mostly. Um, but it's totally. it's still where so many events happen. I try to still keep in touch. When we reached out to Sinclair, it was twofold reasons. Number one, because we absolutely wanted to talk to them. And number two, because we... Feminist Erotic Podcast has selected their book as our next book club. I want to say it correctly. Best Lesbian Erotica Series Volume 5. There it is. Volume 5 is going to be our next book club for January. Uh, Our book club is bi-monthly, so is that already out? It's already out, correct? Comes out in like two weeks. I just got my box of books yesterday. So I, nice. I do, this is like, I, I don't think anybody has them yet. So mm-hmm. I'm so excited. Yeah. So excited about putting that one in the world. We will definitely let you guys know when the book drops so you can get your copies and read along with us. Everybody's excited about this book. Let's be very honest and clear. This is one of the, I feel like this is one of the titles that people were also shouting out. Like we should read one of those Absolutely. So that's going to be our book club selection. We will be talking again with Sinclair for that book club. So now that you're here and you're getting Sinclair, you're getting, you're going to get a second portion of Sinclair in January for our book club. You're welcome. Um, (laughs) With other contributors. mm -hmm. It's going to be an awesome conversation. Um, and we're doing some readings for this book in the, in December and January too. So I'll let you guys know when the dates are and you can let right. people know because we'll be, I'm going to try to get as many people as I can to read from their stories. It's just so different to hear people's, the, the authors actually read their work. I, I really love that. I love how much it adds when I hear it in their own voice. Totally. Yeah. And one of the contributors, we won't say who, in case she wants to be on the DL, was, came to book club last night. I know. Um, awesome. And was like very excited about being in the edition. And, you know, I, I hate to like silver lining this, but you're having readings probably. And you're, you know, you're because you're having them online, people from all over can come mm-hmm. like our book club last night, New Jersey, New York, Vancouver, Dallas, Chicago. So mm-hmm. I hope that you'll benefit from that. Me too. I've, it's really exciting to get to read with more people because, you know, when I've done books, readings and tours with books and anthologies before, I'll kind of cluster it around like, well, there's five people in Seattle and Portland, so we'll do one reading near there, maybe something in, you know, New York, something in Chicago. But like, th- then there's all these amazing people who I never get to read with because they're in like Saskatoon, Saskatchewan or something. And I, you know, and I would never, I, I'm not that I would never tour there, but I, it would take more work. <laughs> so it's going to be fun, I think, to get more people from more around the place. And there's a couple people I know who aren't in the U.S., definitely a couple Canadians, but then I think there's even a couple people overseas. So we'll try to figure out time zones so we can make that, make that work. And I, I'm, really, I'm really excited about the range in this book, especially. Um, there's five stories, I think, with trans women in them. And there's a couple, three or four stories with asexual and gray sexual folks in them who are are talking about like what it is to be erotic and sexual 
from that perspective, which I think is really great. And there are things that I don't see very much in erotica and that I really want to see more of. So I love getting to be the one to pick <laughs> what we get to see more of. It makes me feel so honored to be trusted with, you know, something, especially something like this series, which is, this is the, you know, it's been 25 something, 26 years. So like, there's a lot of these and they're very influential. People really trust the series title and I feel, feel so honored to be part of it. Is this, I know, Princess, I know you're going to transition this, but I wanted to ask, so is this the first and is this the first one of these you've edited? It's the it's volume the five. second. So I did volume four last year, oh. um, and I was also the guest editor for 2012, which was didn't have a volume number, but it was you know eight years ago now. And I there at that time the series was structured a little differently, where they had like a series editor that was in charge of all of it, and then a a guest editor for each one that was a little different. Oh. So it's changed it's changed a little over the years, and Cleus changed hands five or so years ago so there's they're run out of a and they used to be like very indie little their own little unit and they're part of a larger publishing group now so things have changed with the new ownership in that in that regard but generally they've been really staying true to Cleus's mission I think and they've been really invested in bringing you know different voices on and um, different kinds of perspectives and you know there's a lot of people who write lesbian erotica or who would uh, edit uh, an anthology of lesbian erotica who wouldn't necessarily choose, you know, people with non-binary pronouns and other kinds of, I feel like I'm pushing the envelope of what lesbian means in these books. And Cleus is like, right on, let's do that. You know, they're in support of that, which I've been really grateful for and a little worried about at times, but excited to be working with them with with that mission in mind. Well, I think that the definition of lesbian is, changing a little bit from what you know it was back in the in the 70s and 80s so you know if you're not creating work that connects with the change in times then like what are you actually doing you've got this anthology coming out what are you excited about about it but so you've told us that there's there's awesome inclusive representation what else about the stories have surprised you? I think I, th- I think the sweetness and the like connection and the transformativeness of these stories, like as I was rereading some of these in the last week or so, because I've been doing more, you know, because it comes out in like two weeks, there's, they're so heart- full of heart, you know? And that's not to say that the characters are falling in love with each other. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't, but they're so full of people bringing their whole selves to this, the characters bringing their whole selves to these encounters and like giving so much with each other and, you know, seeing each other, like some of it's about visibility, some of it's about validation. And there's, there's so much that happens, I think, in good erotica that is about life changing events and like, permission to be who we are, especially for folks like queer folks and trans folks and folks with different types of, you know, kinks or fetishes or ace folks, folks on the ace spectrum everywhere. We're not, we don't see ourselves in, you know, mainstream culture and, and minority folks of all kinds. I mean, I was speaking particularly of kind of sexual minorities, but then like, you know, people of different 
people who are not white, basically, and people who are not able-bodied and people who are not neuronormative. What's the word for that? There's a word for it. Neurotypical. Neurotypical. That's the one I was looking for. Thank you. So like, it's been, I, I get touched by the story, by erotica in general. And I think it's partly because of the, how vulnerable characters are when they're sharing their erotic selves. You know, they get, they, we, we see this other version of people and I love that it makes me really happy uh and and just like that touched feeling of like like the tears in my corners of my eyes even when like when the characters are just fucking like crazy and they're like all happy and you know beating me thank you ma'am or whatever and I'm like oh that's so great you know so it's kind of a it's kind of a funny reaction but I do have that a lot with erotica <laughs> it's funny to read it now too because I was you know I was picking and finishing this the stories in January and February of this year. So it was all right before the lockdown happened. So it's kind of weird to not see anybody like wearing masks or dealing with COVID or, you know, going out in public, like they're doing, there's no COVID in this book at all. So it's a little strange actually to not see that, but I already know I'm doing the next year edition. And I already know I have a couple stories submitted that are set in COVID times. One is a Zoom scene. It's so good. <laughs> so I'm excited about that one. So, so that's, I mean, that's kind of an odd thing about it, but that's just what happens in book life where it doesn't, you know, you don't pick things a month before, you don't finish the book a month before it comes out most of the times. I feel like I've been talking to a lot of writers uh, lately. Um, the, an episode just dropped today with uh, Jane Renault and Lauren Emily, who mm. both were talking about processing their bisexuality through the writing of erotica and giving themselves permission, and then how that gives readers permission to explore similar things. Mm. You know, and I feel like it's a theme. But I'm curious specifically about you. I, I think it's really hard for for doms and uh, dominant folks and and tops to just figure out how to acquire those skills and the mm -hmm. confidence and the negotiation needed. And could you just talk a little bit more about how writing you think made you a better dominant or top? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think describing the everything in from like negotiating you know from meeting to negotiating to doing the scene to the aftercare and like actually going through and typing those out writing those out um just made me have to think through them really elaborately and it getting to do that over and over meant that I was thinking through different scenarios and different things that different people had told me you know like fictionalizing things that people had told me or not sometimes it was actually like writing about what we had done and it helped me sort through them and notice patterns and 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 remember what I'd done that had happened well and and like write notes to myself almost about like this is how you should be doing it, you know. And I think it was also really helpful to write the more journalish stuff, journal entry stuff that was about like how do I be a feminist and want to like hit somebody, you know, for pleasure, quote unquote, at the same time and and having the kind of feminist crisis of dominance and submission and um, having the, having some masculinity wrapped up in that too. Like, do I, do I think I have to be a top because I'm a masculine person or do you think I have to be masculine because I'm a top? Like it, how are these playing with each other? Cause it's so compulsory to be that those are linked in this culture. So 
you know, it helped me to just to write through it. But then also the writing was fueled by just dozens of conversations with people, you know, like, how did you learn about that? How did you reconcile feminism with your dominance? How did you, you know, learn how to be a top or, or learn how to be a bottom? I mean, really, I learned how to be a top from bottoms <laughs> more than anything else. I think it was bottoms saying to me, you know, as much as you want to do that thing, like I want to receive that thing. And I want you to say those horrible things to me. And I want you to degrade me and spit on me and, you know, whatever, do, do these things that are quote horrible. And, and I, you know, and so like hearing them confess these like desires and needs made me feel like there's someone meeting me. Like there's another half of, of what I want. And it isn't just that like topping happens in a vacuum or by itself, you know, it, it needs someone consenting and full of agency to come along and say, I want you to do these things to me. Otherwise I'm actually not interested. Like, I don't want to just hit somebody. (laughs) That's not fun. That's not fun at all. It's, it makes such a big difference to have that other part. So it really was finding that other part. And then I just kind of kept trying to make it come alive on the page. Like, what do I imagine bottoms or, you know, my dream girl or whoever would be saying and, how do I imagine they deal with it? How do I think that they like offer themselves up or ask for what they want or why do they like this? You know, like trying to get into the head of that character was helpful. And the head of my character too, like to further articulate what I wanted. So quick shout out, if you, it's wildandsublime.com. A good friend wrote a guide to responsible bottoming for Wild and Sublime show and podcast, et cetera. But I, so I switch and like, I feel like it, it, it was a long time before I realized that I didn't know how to say no. And that I got out of this mindset that subbing meant just accepting what happened to me. Mm. And so, yeah, that, I don't know. I just want to throw that out there for people listening that have only maybe read the stuff, but have not participated in it. That like, by all means, you should be an active, engaged partner, no matter what role you're playing. I just feel like that's so important to say. But I also think that this is a good segue. I have this one more question, then I'm going to turn it over to Karen and Princess. In your introduction to Sweet and Rough, you talked also about your your sort of consent journey as both a writer and mm. um, a kinkster, I guess. So can you basically say like similar things about your like journey, like enjoying rough sex and con consensual non-consent and all these things. And how did writing about it also transform your thoughts about consent? Mm. That's funny. I haven't read that introduction in probably three or four years. So I'd, I'd have to look exactly at what it says now. Um, I'm kind of but, but I'm thinking about it from like right now, like what does that mean for me now? And so regardless of what I did right then, it's, I mean, I think, I think what you were getting at with the active agency and active participants in kink scenes is, is a, lot of, a, a lot related to how I think about consent, that it's this very active thing, that it's not just like, acquiescence or allowing someone to do something but it's actually actively asking for it to happen and desiring it to happen and participating in that 
creation of the wanting in addition to the, you know, allowing or just letting it, letting it happen. Um, and maybe there's times, especially in like long relationships or something where you're like, maybe I'm not in the mood exactly, but I'm just going to show up and I'm going to bring this and you want it. So let's do it, you know? And, and so, and that's, that's, I think that might be more of the kind of allowing that I'm referring to. And, and we, we can all do that sometimes, I think, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but um, especially with, you know, new things or edgy things or things that are really pushing our boundaries or pushing our limits or are really intense for us, like to be this active participant in consent is really key for me. Um, and I think that I, I didn't, I think that for me, understanding the ways that someone said yes, and like, yes, I actively want to do this really helped me understand the agency of someone bottoming, but then also gave me permission, more permission to be in the topping because if I would like, you know, someone would say, I want you to hit my face. Like, I want you to smack me and like hard, like I want, I want to feel it. And I, I had a hard time doing that. It was, you know, a challenging and tops can have limits. That's completely legit. Like if I was just like, I'm not comfortable. I don't want to, that'd be one thing, but I really wanted to, I was just scared. And so I had to kind of learn to trust that when she said, I want you to do that, that that was true, that she meant that. And that that was like, that I could trust in her yes, as much as I could trust in her saying no. Um, and I had a lover specifically say, you know, you, you believe me when I say no, right? Like you, if, if I say no, you stop. I was like, oh my God, of course. But okay. So when I say, I want you to do this thing and you want to do it too, like, what's the problem? Oh, but what if you don't actually want to do it? You know, like, well, I'm literally telling you I want to do it. You have to, you have to let me, you have to believe what I'm telling you. Otherwise this doesn't work. Right. Can't it's be part of the trust game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's a lot, you know, mainstream culture really values this like intuition around sex of like, you know, we can't talk about it. It would ruin it. Or we can't like, you know, you shouldn't ask me before you kiss me because I just want it to just magically happen, right? And and I get the sexiness of that, and I I think it doesn't I think it doesn't serve us very well, and that like it took me some unlearning of that to figure out that like actually asking for it and being actively articulate about it was was not ruining the mood and it wasn't unsexy and it was the better way to go hey hey this is princess mcdowell co-host of the feminist erotica podcast inviting you to join our book club the lit lap every other month we hop on a zoom call and discuss an erotica book with you in the community and then afterward we interview the author with your questions and a few of our own this January, we're diving into Best Lesbian Erotica Volume 5, edited by Sinclair Sexsmith. For more information, head over to feministerotica.com and look for our About Us page, or find us on Twitter, at Feminist Erotic, for the link in our bio. I So you write a lot of different things, a lot of different genres. Um, and I, because I am a poet, I was really interested in the poetry that you mm -hmm. had on your site and it feels like such a, it's, it's, it's such a different space to create and write in. So I was wondering about kind of your process in writing poetry 
and then be, because I feel like there's there's almost like an overlap between what I've read of your work, um, kind of having still those same kind of poetic elements to it. Mm. So can you talk a little bit about what writing poetry has been like for you? Sure, I found, I mean, poetry kind of feels like my first language and definitely my first writing love. Like I fell in love with writing poetry as a angsty teen <laughs> and read just as much as I could get my hands on and collect books of poems. And, you know, later I was probably 20 ish started getting involved with spoken word and performance poetry and, and listening to, and going to the slams and like going to readings and doing more of that. I was in Seattle at the time and there's a, there was a big scene um, and Tara Hardy also ran the Bent Writing Institute for Queers, who I, I adore. And I was part of Bent for many years and read with them. And like, there was a whole just like, you know, queer spoken word world in Seattle while I lived there in the early 2000s. So it was, um, it was really meaningful to me. So a lot of my philosophies about writing come from that time, you know, fr from learning through her and through that school. Um, how to write about your life and that writing about your life matters, that writing, even if it's the mundanity, like that writing our stories down is revolutionary and transformative and we deserve to tell our stories, we deserve to be heard, we deserve to be witnessed and, and that it's not just even about deserving, it's, it's a gift to other people to, to do that because they get to feel less alone at times. And poetry has been sometimes there's just there's just no other way to express something for me anyway than in poetry because the the emotional truth of poetry can be bigger and deeper than the literal truth of writing something in a you know prose scene and that means that means a lot to me to you know to try to get at the emotional truth of a situation so I've been, I love poetry. I have always kept writing it quietly, although I don't always publish it. And I've um, been in a variety of poetry classes this year online, actually. It's been great. It's one of those unfortunate blessings that has been exciting that some of the writing teachers that I love have started doing things online. And I'm grateful to get to, to study with them more, uh, even though, you know, there's negatives in other ways. But the, I think right now what I'm most interested in in my erotic world actually, in, in, in my erotic writing world, I guess I should say, maybe not the erotic world completely, but in the writing is the kind of more hybrid of poetry and prose, kind of like the piece I was reading. You know, there's no character names in that story and there it's, um, at times it's more about the rhythm or the mouthfeel of the words than about you know the story that's happening. There is a story, but there's also that other element. And that's much more interesting to me as a writer right now than the kind of traditional prose. Yeah, that was the, the piece that you read was one of the ones that I read. So I was excited to hear it. Um, but I was also struck by the, the cadence and the rhythm that you're reading it from. I was like, oh shit, like that's not, there's the difference between you know, the, the reader reading it and the pace and then mm -hmm. hearing the author, uh, which is something that we, you know, try to incorporate when we have authors who are comfortable reading. That makes that piece feel completely different to me now. Mm -hmm. Because there is a, it's, it's, it's almost like there were lines that were chunked together differently. And then when, 
I, I'm trying to think of the the part of it where you say, rip, tear, like mm. rip apart. I was like, mm-hmm. that's. I'm sorry. I get, <laughs> like as a poet, I'm like absolutely like that is that is such a beautiful device to use to to bring the reader and then the characters along. Um, I also really like the phrase, uh, the slick of her. Mm-hmm. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to tattoo that on my back. Um, that would be hot if you do that. <laughs> send me a photo because that would be very hot. <laughs> Done? What? Okay. <laughs> One of the reader questions that we had that I want to throw right in because I'm also curious is uh, who are your favorite poets or favorite poetry books? I, I mean... I read a lot of Mary Oliver because I just, there, there's just kind of nobody more profound for me. And gosh, who else? I read a fair amount of spoken word folks from, you know, in general from Right Bloody. So I read like Andrea Gibson and Tara Hardy and Megan Fally, Mindy, Netafi, some of those folks in that genre. And those come to mind immediately. One of my favorite poetry books to give is um, to, as like a gift is the anthology called Staying Alive, which is called, I think the subtitle is Real Poems for Unreal Times. And they're all very transformative. Some of my most favorite poems are in there by many different authors. And I really love that anthology. Um, I also love Roger Houston. He's got a bunch of, bunch of books, like six or eight books that are these, this little series of like 10 poems to change your life, 10 poems to open your heart. 10 poems for a marriage or to like bless a marriage or something. And there, there are just 10 poems in the book, but the, and then they have little essays that he wrote dissecting the poem. And they're so lovely for, to like help with deeper readings of what these poems are. And he chooses some of the most beautiful poems that I know. Uh, so he also has an anthology called Risking, Risking Everything of Other People's Poems that is really good. So that does come to mind immediately. I think that's, that's off the top of my head. <laughs> That's perfect. So last question that we have for you that we've been asking um, everyone, because we, a big part of what we want to do for the podcast is connect community with each other and really be a resource for folks as they've been a resource to us. So who should we talk to? Who, who mm. do you think after talking with us and kind of getting the vibe, who do you think we should reach out to? to get their take on, on what we're doing over here? Well, June Amelia Rose comes to mind imme- immediately who has been in the last two Best Lesbian America anthologies. And she she's writing some really interesting stuff about identity and, and mental health specifically around bipolar and other, other forms of mental health and moods specifically. And the other one I'd probably say is Toby Hillmeyer, if you haven't talked to Toby yet, because Toby has been, has edited the anthology Nerve Endings, which is trans erotica. And I think there's an, a new edition of Nerve Endings coming out soon. And Toby writes herself many amazing pieces. She also has pieces in, in this one and in last year's. Spring. I know I flipped to the table of contents to be like, who should you talk to? But those two, those two immediately come to mind. I'm so looking forward to like binge listening on you know, a bunch of your work from last season's podcast. And gosh, thank you again for making this happen. I'm so excited to talk more about the book in January and hear what you think about the stories. It's like, it's like having a little, you know, 
throwing a party like who's gonna like it is anybody gonna come what is, <laughs> or come <laughs> i hope so <laughs> i know but. so dirty it's just those eventually when I get on the kick of those jokes they just start coming you know what I mean oh I know I <laughs> can't stop <laughs> Karen has left the chat thank you so much I can't tell you how delightful this has been how excited I am you're coming back yeah me too such a pleasure to speak with you all and connect names and voices and faces Feminist Erotica is a podcast from Rebellious Magazine for Women, hosted by Jara Brown, Princess McDowell, and Karen Hawkins. If you have an idea for a future episode or want to share your thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at feministerotica at rebelliousmagazine.com. Follow us on Instagram at Feminist Erotica Podcast, on Facebook at Feminist Erotica, and on Twitter at Feminist Erotic. And make sure you subscribe to us wherever you devour podcasts.